0: I make a joke like have you ever heard of the term poop tweet it's like is what you <laughs> what you tweet when you're just sitting on a toilet it, like it, it's like you don't even think about it you just do it yeah like, it's almost like that like I just live in that group and I just have it on my phone it's like if I got a second I pull my phone up and I see something going on I just reply right away and I just am always participating yeah and it definitely doesn't appear or feel like a job it just feels like I just want to talk to badass people doing amazing stuff, and I just do it publicly as opposed to one on one conversations.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Chris Powers, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Fort Podcast today. This show is an open ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. Hey guys, it's Chris. Thanks so much for joining me on The Fort today. I have Sam Parr, king of the media empire, the hustle trends and everything in between. I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago because he's hiring a new CEO and I wanted to know more about why he did it and how he did it. So we talk about that. We talk about trends, which has been growing really quickly the last couple of years. And we talk about the big online community it's created, some of the cool stories that have come out of Trends. We talk about San Francisco and his recent move to Texas and why he moved here. We talk about kind of the state of the media industry and how a lot of things that we think are new today aren't actually new, they've been happening forever. And we kind of talk about the future of the newsletter and email industry, so enjoy. Sam, thank you for joining me for part two. Appreciate it. Yeah. I reached out to you the other day because I was listening to your podcast with Wilkinson and then just reading some stuff you'd put on Twitter about replacing yourself as CEO. So I guess my first question is, uh, why did you decide that you needed to be replaced?
0: Well, I learned how to do it. And I, I, I have a lot of influential Or I have a lot of people in my life who are like way better and more successful than I am. And I learned from them how to do it. And there's like a few people who inspired me. One being Tucker Max, who's an investor and friend of mine. And then the other being Andrew Wilkinson. And then a guy who I don't know, he's dead, but I I read his book religiously is uh, Felix Dennis. And I just like had this mindset that the person who starts the thing has to be the CEO and run it and be there all the time. And I was like, wait a minute. Not only is that not true, it's probably the business will probably be more valuable if that is, if you do the opposite. And I kind of I had to like check my ego and like figure out how to balance all that. But basically it, it became very clear that oftentimes the people who start stuff, like I can start, I can get to a million in revenue very easily. Like, well, not easily, but very simply. And across a variety of businesses. But the, the skill set needed to do that is often like the opposite skill set needed to like organize and scale. And it kind of took me a while to realize that. And then what I did, I was like, Oh, hell yeah, like, I'll make way more money and work way less hard if I focus on what I'm good at and hire someone to focus what I suck at. And that's why I, I kind of figured it out.
1: How long between you having that realization and then kind of getting your ego in check and actually executing it? Did it take you years or months or weeks?
0: Weeks. Uh, You know, I move fast. So like when I make a decision, I go all in. Um, And I made the decision like in June and hired a recruiter in June. And uh, we moved very quickly. And then we like started making offers like we found the right people by October.
1: How many people did you interview along the
0: way? My recruiter, his name's Ty Burke, which everyone should look up. he would find people like their were and I would be like, I would just say like "Yes, yes, no, no, yes, yes and then he would go and interview all of them and send me detailed notes and I would say like that person's interesting that's interesting that's interesting. So I probably interviewed fourteen people, maybe, but he interviewed probably a hundred, and of like the fourteen that I interviewed, I would have hired most of them really um so yeah, maybe not a CEO, but like I, I nearly everyone I talked to, I enjoyed, and I was like, wow, this person's very smart, and I'm amazed that they're even talking to me.
1: So you get down to fourteen that that you really like, and you just got done saying that. I guess you could categorize yourself as a great starter, maybe not a great scaler. Is that probably accurate?
0: Well, I can do it. I mean, I did do it. I scaled us to millions of dollars a month in revenue. Yep. Um, it's just like a real. It's like needlessly painful. So, you know what I mean? It's like a sprinter trying to train to run a marathon. It's like you can do it. It just doesn't come naturally, maybe, and it's not as exciting.
1: <laughs> did you come up with the job description? Like, what the? I guess my question is: What is the CEO that you're hiring going to do differently than what you were doing?
0: Uh, I came up with a job description. Yeah, I wrote it and a lot of people loved it. Like, because I, I, I used very little bullshit and I just wrote how I wrote. And people were like, oh, we interviewed a lot of people who came from big companies and like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you didn't use jargon or anything like that. So that helped. What would they do that I I, I wouldn't say that they're like, I, I kind of checked the boxes for what I should be doing. I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it well. Right. And so what they'll be doing is doing it far more consistently and probably dealing with people in a more inspirational way than I typically do. Cause I'm pretty like intense with work and that works really well for a lot of people, but every once in a while someone who works here and that doesn't drive well with them. And I'm not always the best at adapting my way of handling people. And that is really necessary. And so this person, they're going to be an operator, but then also like a people person.
1: Do you want them to grow the business significantly or just kind of slow, slowly kind of grow it year over year?
0: Whenever I met people, I go, I need you to double it this year and then grow it by at least 50% the next year. And we got to get to a hundred million in revenue by 2025. Don't take the job if you don't think you're going to do that, because if you don't get close to that, I'll probably fire you.
1: And so everybody you're, that you were kind of talking to has seen that playbook play out?
0: I was looking for a lot of been there, done that people. So I had a lot of people who grew businesses to like 30 or 40 million in revenue and then sold it. And that's like close enough, that I'm sure they could figure out how to do the how they could get to where I wanted to go. And I interviewed a lot of people who really got to north of a hundred million in revenue. And, um, I wasn't considering anyone who didn't like, I wasn't looking for like a, a rookie.
1: Right. You, they weren't going to test their skills on your business. They had to have the plan. Not a
0: chance. No.
1: So in those 14 interviews, I'm assuming some of those people maybe you talked to just once and then the ones that you kept narrowing down, like how many times did you talk with the person that you ultimately hired before you hired them?
0: I probably spent 16 hours with them. Wow. Over dinners or just like work. Yeah, I spent a lot of time.
1: And was there like a silver bullet that was like, this is the guy or the gal?
0: Mm, Just some personality things. And. And I'm not going to reveal who it is yet, but like there are some personality things where I was like, oh, we're we're similar in the right ways and opposites in the right ways, and like it was very clear just based off of like their interests and their aspirations, but they're also their disposition. Like it was very clear. Many, many, many people had the uh, hard skills and the experience, but the person who we went with, it was a very clear personality match.
1: Who on your team was involved in that process?
0: Uh, About six people on the leadership team.
1: Okay. Were there any feathers ruffled internally that you weren't looking within the company for this person, or it was obvious that you needed to bring someone outside?
0: Yes. There were some people that wanted the role, but we got them on board. I think that most people like to be led, and once I proved to them that the person. That we were going to hire is like a badass leader who I myself want to work with and work for. Others were on board.
1: So, where does that leave you? Like, what are you going to be doing? And, 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 and real quick, will you give me one like high level? How's the business structure now? It started as a newsletter. Now there's trends. Like, is it? A, are they the CEO of everything, or just one yeah, thing, or
0: everything? So we have like general managers of each business. And then we used to have an event business that made millions of dollars a year, but that obviously doesn't exist. But we um they're gonna be the CEO of the company and um then we have leaders of each business. And then I'm gonna focus on I don't know what my title's gonna be. I gotta figure that out actually. I didn't even think about it. President or chairman, I don't know. Um <laughs> But like I wanna work on content creation and you know my skill set is in product creation particularly early stage stuff. you know. If it's just me and a designer, if you lock us away in a room, we could make hits all day, most likely. So I'll be doing a lot of that stuff. I'll be doing a lot of content creation because that's also what I'm good at, but I don't have time to do it right now. So I'll be focusing on those things and a little bit less on, a lot less on the operations and the management of people
1: are you going to report to him or, or her or, or do they report to you or is it kind of a mixed bag? Like, how do you think about that? It's
0: definitely, it's definitely mixed bag. I own the company. So like I could fire anyone, but the way that I'm going to run it is like, I defer a, a lot of like, if someone has good judgment, I defer, even if I disagree with them, I defer my the decision-making to them or uh, delegate decision-making to them. So I'm going to let them do their thing. I'm going to let them run the show. So in a way, I'll be when I'm like being a content creator. I'll have deadlines and I'll kind of report to people a little bit. But the numbers and the business performance, they'll be operating it, but I'm the boss. Like they got to report to me on that. The reality is, is like yeah, I'm the boss, but it's definitely a partnership. That's for sure.
1: For sure. So if I asked if if the podcast was with your future CEO and I asked them what's what's your expectation to Sam, what would they say?
0: that I go off and do my own thing and that grows the business and that I work with them to create quarterly expectations.
1: And are you given free reign to just kind of go create, create, create? Or do they have to like agree with the stuff you're creating?
0: Sorry, I don't understand that
1: question. Like you, you were just saying I'm, I'm good at product. I'm good at content. I'm good at starting things. Like, are you going to be given free reign to go kind of keep starting new things within the the umbrella to make the the business better? Or is it like you're going to work with somebody to agree on what things you're going to create?
0: Well, technically, yeah, I could do that, but I don't think that would be a very successful partnership. So, sure. so I do look to have harmony. That doesn't mean that they'll like what I want to do. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to like what they'll do. I think that I think that we can definitely, you know, disagree but still buy into each other. So I, I guess what I mean is I will we'll do stuff that we that we buy into, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're gonna like it or that I'm gonna like their stuff. So I don't I wouldn't use agree as the right word, but agree to do is the better phrase maybe.
1: Yep. When are you gonna release who it is and kind of come out to the world with it? January. And is there a reason why you're waiting till January?
0: There is a reason.
1: Okay, but you can't say any, you can't say I'm guessing. I (laughs) can't. Okay, that's cool. Can you give any color? I know on Wilkinson's podcast that you did with him, you guys talked about just kind of like structure and comp structure. Like, can you give any high level of maybe how you're like thinking about paying this person?
0: Yeah, uh, a very, very lucrative, Annual salary, a very lucrative annual bonus. And if we ever sell the company and they're part of it, then they'll get a chunk of the profits.
1: How's the bonus structured?
0: So it's like it's a weighted average. So it's like 50% on profit, 50% on revenue target. So hypothetically, just for numbers, let's say the bonus is 100 grand and they hit 30% of their profit target and 80% of their revenue target. Then you take the average of that, which I don't know what's that like 40%, then they get 40% of a hundred thousand dollars.
1: All right. I want to pivot just a little bit. The first time we talked trends really hadn't been launched yet, but you are very vocal about that's kind of where you live is in the trends community. So just like high level, what, what is trends? Like, how do you describe what trends is?
0: Yeah, what's weird is before we launched it, I didn't realize that the community was going to be cool. I didn't, or rather, like part of the thing. Yeah. I, mean, I just thought, uh, like, I didn't even think about that. Trends is a research product that has a community. So we have a team of researchers who find interesting ideas and do cool case studies and find uh, trends in the world of business. Not quite high level, high level but kind of high level stuff. And then we have a community where people can discuss each other's businesses and discuss the findings that we are having and communicate with one another. From there, we're actually launching more higher end versions where we'll dive incredibly deep on one or two businesses at a time. And so if you want to see like P&Ls or privately held companies, it, like let's say we're not doing this, but let's say like you want to, you want to, you want to clone Airbnb, but in a different industry or something like that. Yeah. Um, Imagine if there's like a, imagine if this was 2014 and it's like a new, Airbnb is relatively new, then we would do a total breakdown where we explain how they make money, where the revenue is, where that business model can be deployed against, things like that. And so those are called guides. And those are actually, we already have our first one done and that's coming out soon. But anyway, trends is, it's hard to explain a little bit, which I'm not good at, but I would say it, it's definitely a community, that's for sure.
1: And what like what's your position in that community? Just talking to lots of people with lots of cool ideas, or like, do you, is there something special you're bringing to it?
0: Like, what do I personally do? Yeah, like you said, do you like
1: you kind of live in the community. That's where you spend most of your time. Like, what are you doing?
0: Man, it's kind of funny. Like, people have asked us, like, how did you build? Like, are you you're in it, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: People are like people are like, because we get like the founders of Hootsuite, HubSpot like huge billionaire company founders as well as nobody nobodies who are ambitious and likely going to do something of badass and we bring them into one group and they collaborate and talk and a lot of people are like man this is so cool how did you do this and the truth is i don't really know like because it's not really a job for me like this is like my life this is a vocation so i'm just all, like i make a joke like have you ever heard of the term poop tweet it's like is what you <laughs> what you tweet when you're just sitting on a toilet it, like it, it it's like you don't even think about it you just do it yeah like, it's almost like that like i just live in that group and i just have it on my phone it's like my i got a second and i pull my phone up and i see something going on i just reply right away and i just am always participating yeah and but it doesn't seem like it definitely doesn't appear or feel like a job it just feels like I just want to talk to badass people doing amazing stuff, and I just do it publicly as opposed to one on one conversations.
1: So, if somebody's uh, listening to this that isn't on Trends and for $300 they can be a member of Trends, what would be your advice on how to get the most value out of using it besides just kind of reading? Like, what would you tell someone to do to get the most for their money?
0: Well, I do think that they should um, consume and understand the culture of the group for a long time. I also think that the best way to get attention in the group is to lead an interesting life and tell people about it because like a lot of people want to see what others are doing so they can learn and improve themselves. So I think what I would do is work on something interesting or have some interesting insight and share it with the folks. So like, even if it like this one person in in the group, like bought an avocado farm for like $50,000, like it's not like they bought a piece of property that has avocados like avocado trees i think that's what avocados grow and i only actually know (laughs) and 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 they're beginning to sell them and like that's not like a huge like like we have founders of billion dollar companies here that's not like that's nothing compared to them but that's incredibly interesting and billionaire founders will be like oh wow like the the type of people we attract are just always they, they think that small stuff's cool and big stuff's cool they just think that business is awesome. And so I would say the best way to get value is just to share what you're working on, even if it's something really small. Like, let's say that you just grew your Twitter following to 50,000 people, just share how you're doing it and let people peek under the hood and very transparent about those numbers.
1: Okay, so maybe my next question off the piggyback of the avocado deal is, is there like one or two stories that come to mind immediately of just like, Earth shattering things that have happened that you'd never really thought would have happened this quickly because of trends.
0: Yeah. I mean, like a ton of deal flow has happened. Like people have bought and sold companies. We wrote a report about where we just like uncovered some interesting trends that were growing and someone built that business and it is doing like half a million a month in sales. It's called uh yeah, Nerdy Nuts. It's like <laughs> handmade peanut butter that's like uniquely flavored. I mean, like uncovered I forget exactly what we uncovered, but this person kind of took it and ran with it. And now he he like posted his financials. He's like, All right, you guys got me to like half a million a month in revenue, thank you. I mean we didn't do it, but you know, the community maybe it helped and maybe we gave him a little some ideas. We also wrote about the plant business early on, one of the first reports we released, where like I'm pretty sure that plant the plant business is kind of like the mattress industry in two thousand nineteen, which is it's like Everyone sells it in person and there's very little, there's not like a clear seller, digital, like a digital first seller, which is kind of weird because like one in three Americans has an indoor plant and we wrote about that. And now there's multiple plant companies, which is kind of funny. And they're doing well.
1: So when you're saying there's like, there's people buying and selling deals, are they like, Hey, I've got a business for sale. Does anybody want to buy it? Or they're just meeting people in the community and they're just kind of doing it offline. Oh, oh. And is the community, when you say the community, is that the Facebook group? Or is that like when you're on trends, there's ways to socialize with people?
0: Yeah, which is funny. Everyone was like, you can't do a Facebook group. That's lame. That's not like premium. That's not special. But I was like, trust me, like the thing about communities is that you need liquidity. It's a marketplace and liquidity means you need people posting, you need people consuming and people contributing like via comments and likes and things like that and if you have a community on a on a separate forum it's incredibly challenging because there's more friction and you'll likely get less liquidity you know like if you're reddit if you're a big guy already then it's easier but it's hard if you don't have liquidity and facebook makes it re- reduces friction because people are already on it and so our data is like one in 10 people contribute whereas most communities it's like 0.5% of people contribute And so we chose to do Facebook, and we acknowledge that the user interface is poor, and there's so many downsides with doing that. But the one upside that trumps all those downsides is that it's highly, highly engaged. So yeah, long story short, it's just a Facebook group.
1: Yeah, I've got to make a confession. I, I have Facebook. I have zero friends, zero anything. I'm part of one group, and it's the Trends Group, and it's the only reason I have Facebook. Um, a
0: lot of people say that, and but more people have Facebook already than are in your category. But if we had a community that we had our own website and our own, like our own community, then that means 100% of the people would have created a new account just for it. And I think that would make it really hard. Not impossible, but hard.
1: You've been traveling the country. Are you permanently out of San Francisco?
0: Yeah, I left uh, in July. We closed down the office and everything. So did
1: everybody leave San Francisco, or are there just people now working remote there from their home or whatever?
0: Most everyone left. Some people are still there. Some people moved to Oakland or in the burbs of California, but I'm almost positive that there's literally one person that lives in the city as of now, whereas it was much more.
1: Like, how many was it to begin with?
0: My company started there, and we had 30 employees. We probably had 20 20 people there at one point. Now, most everyone's in Austin, and there's one person in San Francisco.
1: Would you consider yourself a remote company, or you're pretty much just moved everybody, and you're still an office-centric company in Austin?
0: I would say that we are semi remote. So we'll probably have 15 people here and 15 people remote. Will your CEO be in Austin? I will not say because that can that can that can say who they are.
1: Do you enjoy like do you like the kind of new way that things are structured or do you wish it was the old way with everybody in one spot?
0: I think I will enjoy it in Austin. I, I, I will enjoy the office culture in Austin more than the office culture of San Francisco because the San Francisco, uh, like you take public transportation and that always sucks. So I, I'll, I'll like it. I'll, I'll like the Austin office culture, but um, I'll still be remote a little bit. So like, I intend to live in Austin for a large portion of the year. And then I just bought a house so I can rent it out. And so I'll live in it when I'm in town and then I'll... I'll travel when I want
1: to go. All right. You you moved to San Francisco. I mean, from afar, you really immersed yourself in the culture, kind of a Midwest guy that got out there and really embraced San Francisco. And you were a huge, it just seemed like a big champion for it. You know, given that I'm in Texas and I read, and now you're in Texas, but the things I read, you know, if you're just reading headlines, it's like San Francisco's done. Can you maybe give a little color on like your opinion of maybe where San Francisco is gonna have its challenges, or maybe it's not gonna have any at all, and the media is wrong. Like what's your opinion on that?
0: I don't think that it's done. that's for sure. I think that it, it hurt a lot. Um I think that San Francisco succeeded in spite of itself. San Francisco, like I always say that like there's like three amazing things about the city. And there's like a thousand negative things about it. And for the longest time, those three things being the people, nature, and just like the general geography of the city, like made it totally worth it. But then like the, the thousand negative things about it, including also the people, and, but then the government, the homeless the lack of balance, like there's, it's, there's no political balance. There's uh, it's very extreme, a lot of extremists that has hurt it. And I hope, and I pray because I'm, I love San Francisco, that they will have a reckoning and, and start realizing that you need balance and you need that political tension and you can't all, it's okay that we don't all agree on the same thing. And that is good because it allow, it creates a more inclusive of a city that is welcoming to all types and willing to work with all types of people. And so anyway, I I think it will come back, but it is dead now. I mean, like, all of my friends have left. I have, like, five best buddies and then, like, a circle of, like, 10 friends. As of January, about 100% of them will have left. Like, literally sold, sold their homes, took their kids out of school, and moved.
1: And are they, are they spreading out all over? Are they just like all moving to like L.A. or the same spot?
0: A lot of Austin, a, a ton of Austin, a couple of New Yorks, you know, New York has the same a lot of the similar disadvantages of San Francisco, but it's like way more happening. Like there's something a little bit more uh, uh, different about New York, but very special that maybe will give it some more longevity. And so a lot of people in New York, but a lot of Austin. One of my friends bounced and moved to Hawaii, but mostly Austin.
1: So Austin's uh, got a funnel coming in from California. I mean, that's a, that's that's been happening for a while, but it's uh, it's happening a lot quicker now.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I just bought this house here. And so I looked at all, this, all those stats. The median price is up, I think, 12% year over year. So it's, it's a good little tick, uptick. And over the past 15 years, the median price has increased by, on average, 5.5%. So like, it's doing good. And there's already been a lot of people coming here. I just think it's going to be more, which is good. I mean, I'm an outsider looking in, but it seems like there's uh, plenty of space to live here. That's for sure. It's not like San Francisco or New York where it's like an island.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe riff just for a second on how you found your house. You're a tech guy. Did you use Zillow or did you hire a real estate agent or how'd you find your place? um,
0: I was looking for duplexes um, and triplexes because I wanted to make income on it. And I I was like, I I was willing to live in a shitty place. And then I um, had a friend, my best friend, Neville Medora, internet guy. And he was like, hey, talk to my friend David. He's a great broker. So I did. And I told David what I wanted, and we went and looked at a few. But then he's like, "Hey, check out some of these single family homes. Like, I think some of them are really over uh, underpriced." And here's the math: if we you rent it out four months out of the year, and I walked into one home, uh, we paid about a million bucks for it, and I walked in we, right when we walked in, I was like, "Oh my god, this is breathtaking!" Like, and the li- the photos on the listing were really bad compared to how beautiful the home was and how great it feels out felt. I was like, I'm almost positive that I can get, you know, like eight grand a month on Airbnb for this property. And my, my wife works at Airbnb, so she has a good feel for those things. And I was like, I'm almost positive that we can that's the bet that we're making that we can like get eight to ten thousand a month for this place for a short term rental if we furnish it nice. And so I did the math and everything and I was like, I think we can knock this out the park. And I think this area is going to grow. Let's do it. And so we uh, we, we made the decision to buy. A, so it's so funny. We um, I went out with my company and went to this bar that was outside, and we were just sitting at the picnic tables on a Thursday. And then Friday morning, I was like, Sarah, let's just let's buy a house like right in that neighborhood. Hired an agent on a Saturday, looked at the house <laughs> on a Sunday, made an offer that night. And got the we got a little bit a little mortgage on a Monday. and now, like so literally in like three days, we went from deciding to being under contract in like from like Friday to Monday or something.
1: That's kind of a theme again, looking from afar and knowing you, you know, over the years a little bit I've gotten to continue to meet you. but you don't really waste a lot of time making decisions. Like you don't dwell forever on things, do you?
0: Not a chance. no, I don't roll like that at all. So like one time. I was like, you know, I'm gonna take a motorcycle trip on a Monday, and then on Friday I took a six. I, I took a, like Monday I decided, and four days later I spent eight weeks driving on a motorcycle. Or like, let well, me we did this. Me and my wife are traveling the country. We decided, and like two weeks later we just did it. We to, yeah. So uh, uh, my philosophy, which I think there's like math to show that this is true, but my philosophy is definitely I only want to rev- uh, review. Like if I if I'm at a restaurant, I'll I only need to skim like the first half of the menu and the very first thing that I see that like passes the threshold of like, yeah, okay, this is interesting. I pick it and I set the menu down and I don't look ever again. And so like my philosophy towards decision-making is like once you find one that would, that would that is moderately good, just accept it and never look back because it just makes the whole decision making process way easier because you, it kind of reduces regret to assume that you can't go back on it. In reality, every decision is reversible, almost every decision, but uh, it like reduces regret because you don't know what else is available.
1: For sure. I fall closer into that category than than most. I I do not waste a lot of time. One kind of a sappy question, but it's something that's been brought up on the last couple episodes I've done. Your wife must be pretty freaking cool to like, I don't know how to say it, put up with you. You can travel the country, you can buy a house and like look at something and buy it quickly. Like. Y'all are obviously on the same page. And then you read Warren Buffett stuff about the best business decision you can ever make is who you marry. This is a couple minutes to talk about how cool your wife is for putting up with you. How did you find this person?
0: It's funny. We just met at a bar, uh, like at a happy hour, not like a late night bar, but like just five o'clock on a Friday. She was pretty and I just walked up to her and we said we love each other like three weeks later. So we got we got into, <laughs> it, into it pretty fast.
1: And she's just kind of down for whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's like super type A. So Sarah um went to Penn with the Ivy League and like would cry if she ever got less than an A, like on anything. And she likes routine and she wants to eat at a certain hour, wants to eat a particular type of thing, and is very anal about that. And I'm the total opposite. Yeah. And and we respect that that is how each other is. And I've gotten a a little bit more regimented. Well, I would say I haven't, but I compromised with her on what she wants to do. And she's gotten way looser. And I think that my confidence of like, yeah, like we don't need to plan anything. Let's just like book the hotel, like the night, the day we arrive, and we'll just figure it out. My confidence in doing that has definitely rubbed off on her. And I wouldn't say that she goes like a lot of guys say this. They're like, man, your wife really must go along. And I'm like, no man, that's bullshit. Like, she loves this shit too. Like it's fun, but she does like put up with me. Like I am like, I'm fucking crazy. Right. Like,
1: (laughs) yeah, there you go. The, the,
0: the the type of like personality that starts to like I have like three times in the day, I'll say, this is the best thing ever. I'm going to take over the world to like an hour later. Like this is fucking awful. I got to shut this down and fire everyone. Like, you know what I mean? Like it it goes like I'm a roller coaster, but she's not at all. So she can kind of absorb it. But, um, there's a little bit of putting up with me, but I mean, it's fucking fun. Like, I feel it is. Like, like I, I want to live a life that like 12 year old me would be proud of. But then also like 80 year old me will be like, hell yeah, you did the damn thing. And I don't regret any of it.
1: That's awesome.
0: So, and and she's kind of bought into that. of Like, we only live once. Let's do whatever we want and have fun.
1: And y'all don't have kids yet. So you kind of have free reign to keep it, keep the party going.
0: Yes. And everyone else, they all say that, too. And I'm like, and maybe I'm just a noob and unwise, but I'm like, pretty sure we could still have a great time with kids.
1: Yeah, you can. But it's, uh, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I'll just, from my perspective, things just change just a little bit.
0: But I I would say that, like, you, me, and a lot of the people probably listening to this podcast, we're definitely not, like, poor. So, like, we can afford help. And, like, that is... Obviously, a massive advantage. So, I think that like we're very, very lucky to have that. So, I do understand though, like how it maybe could be more challenging if you can't afford someone to help you, or it's significantly more challenging, or if you don't have like a a, a grandparents. So, and and we're lucky to have all of that.
1: All right, a couple more questions and then uh, I won't keep you too long, but uh, this came in actually off of Twitter and it said in a recent Trends Premium podcast, Sam predicted the newsletter industry will be dwindling or dying and it'll be hard to get into in 2021. Can you expand on that?
0: Yeah, I was a little hyperbolic, probably more hyperbolic than I should have been. But I think that, like, my point is, and someone tweeted this, they like, the modern media company of 2021 is a community and a newsletter, not a website. And my reply to that person, who the guy who tweeted it, is a friend of mine, and I was like, "Dude, you mean that's the modern media company of 2014?" Because all the guys, like us and Morning Brew and the Skim, like anyone who's doing this successfully, like you realize that we've been at this for six years, and then the people who have been doing it even more successfully, are probably, like Motley Fool, was, was a newsletter business since 30 years. I think that like there's a huge issue. Not an issue, but there's like a lot of people thinking like, oh, email newsletters, they're here. And it's all like new and innovative. It's like, dog, that shit's existed forever. <laughs> it's just that like like and, and the internet marketers have been doing it wonderfully for years. And you tech nerds think that this is like some new thing. It ain't, it's been here forever. And it, it's honestly gonna be here. It's like, you know what's the biggest thing that's changed about email is like the promotions tab. Like there's been very little innovation. And so if you look at the last 20 years and assume that the next 20 years will be maybe similar, um, there's going to be very little change with email. So I think that anyone will be able to build an email business. And if you do it well, it will be a good business for decades to come. But it's definitely because it's hypey right now, it makes things more competitive. I think that will die down. But email newsletter, this business has always been cyclical. And we're just at like, I I, I hate predicting and saying we're at the peak. But we're definitely at like high. It's like it's like high in the cycle. So I just don't want people to think that like. I mean, it's easier when there's less competition. So I was like, my point was like, you should still do it, but but just realize that like when we started, it was definitely easier.
1: Do you have data on like how many you newsletters the average newsletter reader actually pays attention to?
0: I don't. I don't. I don't really care about that number because. That's like saying like how many, I would say like the average app, the, like the, there's like only like seven apps. I think that a person uses on their phone, but I don't really care about the email thing because it's like, how many websites do you read in a day? Like a thousand. So I don't really like care too much about, I don't, I don't really think about that question just because I don't think that that information will help or hurt me. So I don't think about that information, but I do know that like the cost to acquire customers has gone up. I think that so like we have close to 2 million subscribers. I think that in order to, we it took us, I think three years uh, to get to a million. I think you could do that nowadays, but it would just be a little bit harder and you'd have to spend a lot more money, like a lot more money. I mean, we started the business with no money.
1: You don't have to give a dollar amount, but like, is it 10 times more expensive now to acquire a customer five times more?
0: Yeah, like five or 10 times more. Yeah, it could be that much. Yeah, like to build what we build, you'd have to spend like tens of millions of dollars, I think.
1: Is there anything that keeps you up at night regarding like what could make the business fail? Is it like irrelevant content? Is it, you know, is there... that That's like your biggest thing?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're in the business of creating value on a regular basis. So my what keeps me up at night is hiring the wrong people because the people who we hire are the creators, and the things that they create have to be on point on a consistent basis. Like you have to hit a lot; you got to get a lot of hits. And so, what keeps me up at night is staying relevant. Like, how do I build up? Like, my father-in-law owns a moving business that's incredibly successful, and I think he bought it from someone. So he's owned it for like 25 years, and the guy who owned it before that owned it for probably 30 years, and the person who's going to sell it to. Likely, in some capacity, it will exist for another 30 years. So I'm like, how, do, like how, do I, how does this business stay relevant for you know 60 years? And it's definitely possible. The New York Times is... I don't know when the New York Times was started. Maybe in the 1800s. Wall Street Journal has been around forever. Time Magazine is not re- as relevant anymore, but it's still a viable business. I often ask myself, how do you create something that will last a really long time? the wow. New York Times is 170 years old. So that's what I what keeps me up at night is relevance over a long period of time.
1: I wasn't gonna exactly ask it, but it's we're kind of uh, opening up Pandora's box a little bit. Like the media, depending on where you are in the country and you know what you believe in, you you can't trust the media like you used to. And polls are like so far fucking off of reality that. You know, people are entering this deal where it's like, what news stations do we believe in? Everybody has a different message. Like, I guess, how do you think about that as it relates to you? And have you ever had a day where you had like a bunch of backlash from something you posted? Because I feel like every company you just mentioned is like under fire right now.
0: Yeah, I think that... First of all, yes. I've got backlash. I've got a ton of backlash. I've done a lot of stuff that I don't regret, and i got a ton of backlash. And I, I, There's definitely a bunch of stuff that I do regret. that got a ton of backlash. Like, one time, one time, like, the day after Donald Trump was elected, um, we wrote an entire email in his voice. And so we, like, used <laughs> his, like, phrasing for, like, for, like normal news. And, like, we weren't even taking a stance. I just thought it would be because he talks funny, right? I just thought it would be funny to do and, like, got a lot of backlash. And we've done way more. But, um... I think that to put in perspective, like this whole clickbait thing or fake news thing, like we call we called it clickbait, Donald Trump then called it fake news, but in the 1950s or even before that, we called it yellow journalism. Like this isn't a new thing, right? Like th- this is this if it bleeds, it leads has been around since the 1800s or <laughs> before that. Like this isn't like. I think that it's a little bit too, it's it's a little bit too of a freak out to act like this is like a modern problem. This is not a modern problem. This is a problem that has existed forever with media and you're, it's not a problem that's going to go away. You just have to navigate it successfully. So I don't think that I think that, yeah, like this whole, I think fake news is real. I think that clickbait is real and that you have to be very careful who you, who, on who to trust. But like, This isn't new This has existed forever And I just think that It's so weird That people think that Like this is something That has just been Been invented I mean Do you realize that You know what the Pulitzer Prize is
1: I've heard of it I don't really know what it
0: Okay The Pulitzer Prize is It's a prize given to journalists For doing great work Or I don't even know Exactly how they define it But It's just for People who do Like incredibly good And Wonderful American journalism Photography Literature Poetry Like it's short It's like uh, culturally relevant stuff. Anyway, Joseph Pulitzer owned major newspapers in St. Louis, owned major new- newspapers in New York, things like that. And him and Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst, the guy who started the Hearst Empire, which owned part of ESPN and is considered owned CQ, all these like respectable publications. Like Joseph Pulitzer and Randolph Hearst. In the 1800s and up into the mid-1900s, they were in a battle, just like Fox News and CNN is nowadays, to capture markets. And they use yellow journalism and these bold, big headlines in the newspapers and newsboys that would scream, like, you know, extra, extra, read all about it. President does this. So these people who, like, we, like, fantasize in our head as being these romantic, like, oh, I wish it used to be like it used to be that's bullshit. It's always been like this. And if you study history, this isn't new. This is expected and normal. And I think healthy, to be honest.
1: Is it more that like today you can see fake news 500 times a day as opposed to maybe like pre-iPhone, you maybe read it like once or twice a day and it wasn't as big of a deal?
0: No, that's not it. I think that it's the, the bigger part is that anyone can express their opinion about it. And also, anyone can be like this whole idea of journalists being precious, I think that that's bullshit. Like um, anyone with a cell phone and a camera should be a journalist and can provide as much value. Now I do think some journalists are way better and provide way, like Bob Woodward is like far more influential and impactful than most people. But like, I do think that like anyone should be able to do it. There's an infinite amount of quantity of that type of content. And there's also a, Infinite way that people can express their opinion. I mean, before there wasn't the ability to reach millions of people when you're on the toilet and want to do a poop tweet. Now, yeah. Donald, Trump, <laughs> now Donald Trump can do that to a hundred million people, like he did yesterday, fifty times a day, tweeting about why Fox News sucks. So, like, it's just that it, you can be—it's easier to be loud.
1: Uh, I don't know exactly how to ask this, but I think you'll get it. Yesterday, MSNBC posts an article that. Uh, Republicans are clearly trying to spread COVID around the country. That's like the headline. You're in the media business. Like, how do you think about that headline? Because it is clearly not true. But there's probably half the country that's like, yeah, they are fucking doing that. And then there's the other half the country that's like, all the people that think we're doing it are the ones scared in their closet. And this thing's fake anyway. It's like, how do you think so, about that from a media Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way that
0: the math works... Is if you create an article, if 100 people see it and it's a really good headline, maybe 5% of people will click it. If 100 people see it and it's a shit headline, potentially no one or only one will click it. And so what you need to do is get really good at increasing your conversion rate of people who click the article. And then once they click the article, it's how many people can read the whole thing. And then how many people feel a certain emotion in order to share it. And there's all these psychological triggers that you can pull or levers that you can pull. So for example, I know that outrage gets significantly more shares than depression. So like a sad dog, a picture of a dog dying from just like being old is causes depression. That doesn't cause outrage. That's not going to get a lot of shares, but that article that you said, which was about outrage and anger, that will get a ton of shares. And so smart writers and audience development folks can do is analyze what type of, which we all know. I mean, if you're, in, if you're in the industry just for a little while, you know what those are, what those triggers are. It's really easy to pull them. And the way that, that if you don't have a subscription business, um, and you have to get ad revenue. You're incentivizing your creators to create headlines like that because they know that who their audience is and it's their job to provide stuff that will be, uh, pull those those share levers and get people to share more and get more page views. So I think that I'm not surprised by that headline. I would say that like what I like to do in the morning is go to HuffPo and then Breitbart. And then I go to CNN and then Fox News. And I read the comments of every article that interests me. And uh, to see what the people say and to see what the journalist says. And then I somehow like try to figure out, okay, the truth is somewhere in the middle between all of
1: us. Yeah. Is there and a middle...
0: So, People who write in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Wall Street Journal, I think, is great. I think Wall Street Journal is fairly middle. I think um, The Economist is fairly middle. I think that Financial Times is fairly middle. I think that um, I used to think Reddit was a good place to get news. I think that they're, they're far more left than I thought. I think, yeah, I think those folks are fairly middle. But I do think that, like, it's pretty impossible to get a objective viewpoint on the news so i don't really seek out to do that what i seek out is to read extreme views of all of them and realize that the truth is in the middle but no i i i don't think that's a, i don't think that you're gonna i, I think seeking out a, an objective point of view is pretty much impossible i do think the, the, the youtubers do a great job like the untrained young people who are great at making videos i think they do like an amazing 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 job of expressing uh, the truth.
1: So do you think all these companies that have been around for 150 years will be around for 150? Or is there, like you just said, YouTube is like for these untrained people is becoming really valuable. Like is the door shutting and we're about to enter a new wave of media or is it kind of gonna be how it's always been?
0: I wouldn't say it's gonna be how it's always been, but I think there's always going to be, there's always going to be a New York Times and a media company and there's, there's always going to be individual creators because if you like think you got to think about the economics of it, like there's like all these sub stackers who are these journalists who could quit their job and they could pay their bills by creating for one off or for their audience. And that's great. But I think what, what you're going to see is that a lot of journalists, a lot of creators don't want to be entrepreneurs. They think they do, but then they're like two years in and they're like, oh, fuck this. I want good health insurance. I like, I want, I want vacation. Um, because there's like a lot of bullshit that comes with running your own business. And unless you're like, unless you like actually care about that stuff, which most people don't, then you shouldn't do it, even though it sounds cool. Because it's not cool once you get into it for a lot of people. Like it, it does, that doesn't excite them. So I think that there's always going to exist a place where the creators are just employees. So I don't think that's ever going to go away.
1: This is badass. Thank you very yeah, much well, for, for doing this.
0: Hopefully, yeah. Uh, I don't think we said anything that's going to cause outrage, but... Well, that's... We got to get clicks, man. Yeah, I look, like, if that's what you want, like, there's, it's so easy to... Like, that's, like, very easy to do. uh, Like, it's so easy to do that, so... Well, uh, then
1: maybe one more question, and I'll let you go. Is it even possible to build a news station that only provides, like, good, positive news? Or is people just not interested in that?
0: Is it possible? Yes. Will your company be bigger if you don't? If you do that, but then also throw some outrage stuff in there? Yes. Yeah. Like, look, we we experienced. Do you know? Have you heard of the Trump bump? Yeah. So when Trump got elected in sixteen, we didn't. I mean, we were just getting started, so we weren't really relevant. But the industry experienced what was known as the Trump bump, which is people were so fucking pissed off all the time. Or so happy all the time at what he was or wasn't doing, whatever. That they started reading more and more and more because they wanted more. You know, it's like a, it's like a. I mean, the dude's like a reality TV show. You like them or don't like them, but it's like a reality TV show. It's like exciting to see what's going on. And so, like the the industry was booming. Then, when COVID hit, um, we experienced a COVID bump, COVID bump, where like our subscriptions like went through the roof and engagement went through the roof. So whenever there's crisis or action, we crush. So that will always exist. And you make more money in those times, 100%.
1: Yep. And that's how it's always been.
0: That's how it's always been. And that's how it always will be. And I don't think that that's bad. That's not bad. It just is. That's just how humans are. Like, I uh, want to see a car crash. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to apologize for it either.
1: Yep we're kind of driven by fear and like that instinct of protecting yourself and everything.
0: Yeah. It's also just fucking fun. Like I watch, I like watching a street fight Yeah, I and do like, too. We, and we all know that. So like, <laughs> like why hide it? Like if I see two guys get a fist fight on the street, like I'm going to be like, Holy crap, Sarah, watch that. And I'm yeah. going to stop my car and watch. And I don't think that that's like wrong to do that.
1: It's just, you're just being honest, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, we're just, we're just animals and it's fun to watch people do crazy stuff. And I don't think that that's like the crazy, it's not wrong to do that.
1: I agree. I love it. This was awesome.
0: Yeah. Thank you uh, for the podcast. Yep. All right. I'll talk soon. See you. All right, buddy. Bye.
1: Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, or write a quick review. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and CEO of Ford Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Ford Podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Ford Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.